Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members of the podcast, running the podcast. Welcome to another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I'm once again joined by my co-host Dylan Hughes. Dylan, in the tradition, they're in a curveball. When do you expect a fastball? Miles Turner showed up to last night's game in a Darth Vader costume, and they lost. My my question isn't about the Pacers. My question isn't a, my question is more about the costume. What's the? I'm trying to find the right way to ask this, but I know what I want to ask. If you were to wear a costume to a game and lose. What's the least embarrassing costume you think you would have on? Hmm. Man. <laughs> I, I don't think I would ever show up in like something like that because you got to show up, you know, like you've got to come out and, and be like, you've got to defeat the bad guy. Cause Darth Vader thinks he's the good guy, of course, but like, you know, I would be tempted to show up in a Kylo Ren costume because I love Kylo Ren. Um, and Kylo Ren is like, listen, this may be a, a Circle City Cinema conversation. I, I absolutely love Kylo Ren's character because you have that little bit of like back and forth where like you think he's going to want to become a good guy, but then he doesn't. So I don't know. Kylo Ren would be actually maybe a decent one where it's like. Like who who really is Kylo Ren? You know, is is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? But I think it'd be more fun to show up in like a Teletubbies costume or something like that, where no one is gonna take you serious. So like the 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 pressure is really low at that point. Like if you show up in a Teletubbies costume and you drop thirty five points, then like the respect like everyone's surprised and like the respect is going to show is really going to sh- shoot up. But if you show up as Darth Vader, I mean, you've got to have like 18 blocks and you've got to maybe kill somebody. So it's just like a tough situation to put yourself in. He had four blocks. So he wasn't, you know, he had 14 he was, points. He's about a quarter six. of the way. About a quarter of the way there. <laughs> Fair. I mean, I don't have any counters to that. I don't know what costume I would show up in. You know, maybe, maybe I show up, I put on a, a fat suit and show up as Tony Soprano. You know, maybe that'll be. That would be good. That'll lower expectations enough to where. Show up as, show up as Logan Roy. Oh, fuck off. <laughs> um, everyone, would, everyone would leave you alone or they, or they'd kiss your ass. Either one of those two. Exactly. And you wouldn't be as embarrassed after you lose. Although like. Like uh, Tom said in this season, and this isn't really giving away much. I've never seen Logan get fucked once. So you you don't know the context for that. So you can't technically say it's a spoiler. Um, (laughs) I think that it'll be an interesting. uh, It'll be it's an interesting idea, Dylan, but time to get on with the basketball. And Paul George got injured, but we can save that for our Clippers section, I feel. Um, the biggest injury news to happen this week happened. I think that was last night or the night before Ricky Rubio tore his ACL and is out for the season. 
And Dylan, um, Darius Garland's in the COVID HSPs. Sexton's out for the year with an injury. And then now add Rubio to the list. I mean, they have no guards right now. I think Kevin Pangos is PG1 right now for them, which Kevin Pangos, I believe, played at Gonzaga. I'll have to double check. Um, Darius Garland should be out of the health and safety protocols and they changed the rules. Well, I think we have to talk about that too, because I think that goes to a discussion we were having earlier. But Dylan, right now they're kind of <laughs> in a very bad spot, and I don't think they have a really good shot. Like, even with when Garland comes back, we saw how they were last year with Damian Dotson as the backup one. They need help and they need it now at the backup point guard spot. Yeah, I mean it's it's brutal. It's brutal. Like between COVID stuff and just natural injuries, um, our 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 beautiful little Cavs story is starting to crumble. I mean, they have the best point differential in the East, by the way, which I think is kind of a fun stat. And I think a lot of that's because they've blown out terrible teams. But you know, like like we've been saying, this is not the year for the Cavs. Maybe next year, maybe the year after that. This is not it. Um, but hey, you know, there's been some rumors about maybe LeBron wants to come back to town. He's going to quit on the Lakers because uh, they suck. And maybe he comes back to town. Hey, you want a, you want a good backup point guard? We've seen this happen before. Why not go and grab Shabazz Napier, man? Well, the Lakers would be drafting Shabazz Napier in this instance, wouldn't they? <laughs> Yeah, but uh, listen, he's 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 sitting waiting for that comeback. He saw Lance Stevenson come back. He's seen all these G League G League guys get called up. Why not give him a call? It's gonna catch LeBron's attention. You wanna you wanna bring LeBron home and have him retire in Cleveland? You call up Shabazz Napier, man. Justice for Shabazz Napier. Justice for like Shane Larkin. Where the hell is Shane Larkin right now? Oh. Son of, of Red's great Barry Larkin, by the way. Um, but Shane Larkin was always a guy I liked, man. He went he went to Florida, right? Miami. Miami, yeah. He had a nice, nice little tournament run, I think, in that last year. Like he's he's a guy I was definitely rooting for. And uh yeah, I think I think he uh, did he play for the Celtics last year, by the way? Or was I don't it, the think year it was be- it was probably the year before. I don't think he was in the league last year. Okay. Well, this is the perfect time for him to make a comeback. I'm trying to think. Bring back Brandon Bass. He might be a little oh, too old. Yeah. <laughs> um, ben, Big Baby Davis. That's my that's my vote. Both of those guys should have been Sixers. Where the hell is Luke and Bamute? <laughs> He's scouting in Africa, man. Trying to I find mean, the next Lembeed. <sighs> Justice for Luke and Bamute, he should definitely be a sixer. Um, it's funny that we're naming just a bunch of guys that used to play for Doc Rivers, I have to say. Um, and we all know that there's nothing Doc Rivers loves more than a player who used to play for Doc Rivers or killed Doc Rivers in one game. Shout out to BJ Mullins. Um, you know Jared Dudley's clamoring to get back in the league. Uh, he's on the Mavs coaching staff. I think he's okay. No. Um, he, he would suit up tomorrow if, if Jason Kidd asked him to. Probably. That and, then, man, and then he would go on every podcast in the world talking about Luca. He's probably actually he's actually probably doing that now, to be honest. I haven't paid attention, but I wouldn't be surprised. 
justice for who's another Larry Sanders. It's time for a Larry Sanders comeback. Yes. Um, what was the other uh, big man the Bucks had that I loved? Uh, he played. For, he got traded to the Cavs, and then I think he was out of the league. You might be talking about Larry Sanders because that's what happened to him. No, it wasn't Larry Sanders. I'll, I'll look it up. You can probably move on, I, and then I'll. I was. Next. I was going to say I need to get this train back on the tracks, but. For real, okay, so let me ask you, while you're looking that up, let me ask you this Cavs question. How, If you're the Cavs, do you go urgently looking for a point guard at the trade deadline, or do you kick this down the road, get like the 10th pick in the draft, and say, hey, we'll just try again next year? It was John Henson, by the way. John Henson. Mm. Give justice for John Henson. Um, I, I don't know, man. It feels like everything's working against them at this point. And sometimes you just got to lean into that and be like, I mean, they're probably going to make the playoffs just because of the fact that every team below them sucks besides Philadelphia and maybe Charlotte. But like you're about to be, I'm not going to say a dynasty, but you have one of the best pull-up shooters in the league. And as we discussed a few weeks ago, probably a hall of famer on your roster right now. And they're both very young. This is going to be five to 10 years of greatness. And, and Jared Allen's going to be there too. Like let's not sleep on Jared Allen. So they, they're going to have their opportunities. Like Colin Sexton is either going to play for them or going to like help them get another good player next year. Like, I, I just think this year is like, they shouldn't lean into the fact that they've won 20 games already. Like they need to be, they need to look at their situation and be like, listen, we're, a, we're ahead of schedule and let's not blow our wad now just because we're ahead of schedule. Like let's, let's kind of sit back. Let's maybe get another nice, like either a late lotto or like between 16 and 20 pick, add that to the, the scrap heap. And then next year, we'll make our move. Like, I think that's the way they go. And, I mean, they should get some backup point guard. Like, they shouldn't just throw out whoever they're throwing out now. Like, go get somebody. But don't don't give away a super good asset. You could get somebody like Ty Jerome from the Thunder or somebody like, you know, Trey Jones from the Spurs. Who I, we haven't, I haven't seen a whole lot of Trey Jones, but he's, you know – he seems like he's performing admirably in San Antonio, and we see his, the track rather the track record his brother has had in Memphis. Right, you can get somebody for pretty cheap, and I'm gonna be honest, Dylan, they have the Houston second round pick this year, and Houston second round pick I believe right now would be the 33rd pick, <laughs> which is a pretty great spot to be in, and if they you know collapse like it's certainly possible they could. And Detroit and Orlando surge ahead of them, then they, it could be the 31st pick, which is in essence another first round pick. So they're a team to keep an eye on at the trade deadline. Hell, it might be earlier than the trade deadline just based on how soon they need it. Um, it'll be curious to see, but we should talk about the NBA's new COVID protocols. We talked about this a couple of weeks ago, and they changed the rules. So Beforehand, it was if you tested positive for COVID, you had to sit for 10 days. 
And now they've shortened it to six days, provided those players are asymptomatic and meet other testing standards. And so we're going to get really shortened COVID protocols. Andrew Wiggins missed the Christmas Day game and was back on the 28th. So we're going to see guys, you know, miss. It's still going to be like a game or two, but it's not going to be like three or four games and possibly change the trajectory of your season. So Dylan, was this kind of, we talked about this a couple of weeks ago. Does this new idea of protocols work for you? I mean, it's definitely better. I don't understand why they chose six days instead of five, which was the CDC recommendation. It just, the track record of the NBA makes me think they're just doing that to look better because this is a lot of their actions seem to be based on optics. Um, it's like, if you say five days, like they, they don't have to just do five days, right? If they're asymptomatic, if they have symptoms, they'll sit longer. Like if you don't have symptoms and you're negative or whatever, I don't understand why the days matter at all. Like if you're being tested and you don't have symptoms, then I don't, I don't understand why the length of time matters. Cause the point is you don't want to have the virus in your system. And it's not like the virus goes away in one day. Like, I think I've heard cases where it goes away in two or three days. Um, but obviously if you're unvaccinated, that's probably not the case, but I don't know either way. It's better. Like, I'm glad that we're moving closer to what reality should be. And we're kind of moving closer to just life being somewhat normal anyway. And, you know, I really hope this is the last season of all sports where this is even a problem because listen, every virus we have in the world was once what COVID is now, right? A hundred years ago, this was the flu and the flu is still here. It mutates every single year into something new. And that's why we have vaccines to prevent it. And that's why we have medicines to fight it if we get it. And we have two antiviral pills on the market now. And to be fair, they are just um, emergency use authorization. So, you know, I'm not saying that we should push that yet. But once those do become approved, which you would think would be in the next few months, like we need to start dialing this stuff back, right? Because again, again, immunocompromised people should take as much precaution as they can. But we, we now have a preventative measure. We have something to kill it once you do get it. So it's, it's time that we start kind of dialing this stuff back because it's either, like we talked about in our group chat yesterday, it's either you, you just fight through it or you just stop everything. Like there's, there's no point in having players sit for two weeks or whatever when they may not even have symptoms. Like, so we're getting closer, but I still think it's a little bit too much, but you know, they have the right to take precautions. So it is what it is. And I think this is all going to slow down in a couple of weeks. And I have a couple of theories why. So like, I'm talking just in terms of the positive tests. Um, one reason is that this is like a time of year where sicknesses and diseases get spread pretty easily, right? For a lot of reasons, you know, in schools, you know, you have kids in school, schools are like a breeding ground for germs, right? Like that's one of the probably most transmissible places on earth. Like if 
one person in a class gets sick, that person comes back. The odds are someone is missing the next day sick. Right. And that happens a lot in school. You know that, Dylan. And I know that from being in school. Another reason is it's, that it's the holidays, right? Big groups of people are gathering together. We had Thanksgiving in November, which is, I'm pretty sure, I don't have the exact date in front of me, which is when this you know current surge we're on probably started. And we just had Christmas this last week. So it stands to reason that all those happening <laughs> like so close together is why we're having so many positive cases in the country and, you know, in the sports. But once all that dies down and once the people that are getting infected to have the, you know, immunity for three months after, it'll all be good. And I, I think by the time, you know, their immunity runs out, we're not going to have the same situation because nobody's gathering like that for St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> you know, shout out to all my Irish brethren, but it's just not happening in the same way that it is for Christmas. So I think it's all going to die down by the time the playoffs hit. I think the, the testing will go down a lot. I think, and I talked about last week when in our magic segment, this is good for the G League, right? Like maybe not good for the actual G League themselves, but guys playing in the G League, this is great for them right now because they are getting an opportunity that they wouldn't get otherwise to show out and play well. And maybe I wouldn't be surprised, Dylan, if you know, some of these 10 days are done, they get converted to regular roster spots and some bench warmers are, have to go down to the G league because they get cut. I wouldn't be surprised if that happens at all. So it's a positive development for the G league guys, at least. And, and it's for some guys that are, you know, stuck out of the NBA, like Lance Stevenson, (laughs) Lance Stevenson might've gotten himself a spot in Atlanta. (laughs) You never know. We'll see. I don't think Joe Johnson is going to stick around in Boston. I don't think that's going <laughs> to, I don't think that one's going to stick. But once this like little surge is over, I think Dylan, I think once the surge is over, the basketball would be back to where it was before, which is great. Yeah. And the one good thing about everyone being hit by COVID at the same time, and this is the same for football, because that's happening in football too, is that, well, as you mentioned, like, the immunity is there. And, you know, once you get it and pass through it, you are protected, at least protected much better. So the more guys that get it and make it through fine, I think are going to end up being happy about it almost because it gives you that extra protection and you don't have to worry about it. Like think about the bulls, man, the bulls in like a month are going to be, they're going to be set. Like, their entire organization has been killed by this thing. Not literally. Should have chose a better word there. Um, but they have been just – they have suffered through this a lot. They like seems like literally everyone on their team has gotten it at this point. And once they make it through, like, they're going to be okay. So, it's it sucks right now that it's happening. But, I mean, what you said is, is a really good point that it's like a perfect storm with winter where you have all this gathering and it's indoor gathering, by the way, which is the place where it's the most transmissible. You have huge groups. We're going to have new years too. So it's not like it's, it's completely done yet, but no one cares about January. Like this is what's going to happen in January. Okay. Everyone's going to go to the gym, which is good because Hey, if you're healthier, you're going to have a better time beating COVID. So they're going to get healthy for two weeks. Then they're going to quit. 
And then everyone's going to be in their house for a month or two. And then the spread will hopefully kind of slow down and we'll start getting closer to hopefully pre-pandemic times. I'm not going to hold my breath on that anytime soon, but I will also say I'm really happy that Greg Monroe is back in the league. Greg Monroe is probably the most random player that I love. Like I just love Greg Monroe, man. Like he was unstoppable in the paint for a handful of years, really good passer. And just like Lance, he was done. Like there was no, pretty much no shot. He was coming back, but here he is. He got probably, it may be his last check he ever collects, but Hey, he wasn't collecting checks before that. So it's definitely a good opportunity. And hopefully some of these guys stick around. The last time Greg Monroe played was in the 2019 playoffs where he got cooked every single time he was on the floor because he was not Joel Embiid. (laughs) An unfair comparison to live up to because Joel Embiid is so good. So every center that plays behind him is going to have like look terrible with the advanced metrics by comparison. So (laughs) you got to love that. But it's I I just want the league to get back to normal again. It will. Um, They did increase the testing standards on the 26th, but with the new, you know, time that they have to be in the protocols, it's going to be not a big deal. not as big of a deal. So I would guess pretty much every player in the NBA is going to have it by the end of January, but that means everyone will be all set by, you know, <laughs> by the playoffs. So it'll all be fun. Um, not as fun this week, Dylan. I mean, this isn't a good time to do this podcast. <laughs> Just being blunt, because we need to watch the games. We need to see all the players in action. And there just aren't a lot of players in action right now. But we have to power through. Um, So our first team is the Los Angeles Clippers. They are 18 and 17, good for sixth in the Western Conference. They currently have, let me pull up their team stats real quick. Their defense is really good, and their offense is really bad. They have the 27th best offense. They have the fourth best defense. They have a .5 net rating, good for 14th in the league. Their last week, um, they beat the they beat the Kings last Wednesday, 105 to 89. They lost to the Nuggets, 103 to 100. Lost to the Clippers, 124 to 108. And then beat the Celtics in one of the worst shooting performances ever. Four for 42 for the Boston Celtics from three in that game against the Clippers. Um, I think we have to start with Paul George, Dylan. He injured his elbow. He's going to be out for three to four weeks. I believe it was at UCL. Torn ligament in his right elbow, which is a shooting elbow. Um... And do you think this team, like, let's just say he misses 15 games. That's about usually how many are in a month. Do you think this team could like cobble together like a six and nine record with the 30th best offense and like the fifth best defense without Paul George? Because that's what it's going to (laughs) be. They're going to have the worst offense in the NBA. I feel comfortable saying that they couldn't score with Paul George. (laughs) I don't think they're going to be able to score without him. Um, That's just, that's just my question, Dylan. Do you think that their defense is good enough based on what you saw this week? to withstand their lack of offense? Probably not. I mean, there have been some good defensive games, but, I mean, they scored 91 against Boston. Like, you're not going to win many times when you score 91 points. And getting Reggie Jackson back will help whenever that comes. But, I mean, this schedule coming up is pretty brutal. 
Toronto, Brooklyn, Minnesota, Phoenix, Memphis, Atlanta, Denver. Like that, they got some tough games coming up. And I don't know. I mean, I, I like the players they have on the team, but like this is going to become the Marcus Morris show. <laughs> and the Marcus Morris show is not a show that you should watch. I, I like Marcus Morris, but he should be at best your third best player and probably your fourth or fifth best player. And there's just a, there's a lot of Eric Bledsoe. Um, Amir Coffee, who, by the way, I really like. I like Amir Coffee giving me some, some Baisley kind of vibes a little bit. Got the, the lefty that can, you know, get to the rim and shoot a little bit. I, I, like, I like him a lot, but he's definitely not perfect. They have a lot of good flyers. They got, like, Keon Johnson has showed some stuff. Uh, Boston has shown some stuff like they have they have some nice young players Terrence Mann has like somehow become the vet of all these guys and Terrence Mann I still I just don't know if I like him or not like I don't hate him but like he's definitely just an energy guy you know like he's an energy guy he's like he's reminds me a lot of Pat Bev I think Pat Bev definitely kind of rubbed off on him and sometimes that's great, but sometimes he just doesn't do much. Like, he's just kind of inconsistent. So, I don't know. It, it's going to be a little bit of a hot mess. Um, like, it's funny because I keep looking at these box scores and I see Justice Winslow's name. I, I watched two games. I do not remember seeing Justice Winslow at all. And maybe that's me being lackadaisical or maybe it's him just not standing out. I don't know. He definitely doesn't stand out. Um it's weird because you would agree he's been in the league for six years. The optimal way to use Justice Winslow is not as the stand in the corner guy, <laughs> but on this TV is stand in the corner guy to mixed result, right? Like this team without Kawhi definitely has a worse shooting than they did last year. Um, Kennard is making 44% of his threes on six attempts a game, which is I think leading the league right now in three point percentage. He's been really like, he's been what I thought he was going to be coming out of that Detroit trade. Um, Bledsoe shoots way too many threes. He's shooting three threes a game, <laughs> making 32% of them. And that feels high. Um, Boston isn't making a whole lot of his threes right now, but he's a rookie. You think they'll have to go in at some, like his shots are, he is too good of a player for his shots not to fall at some point. You can just see it when you watch him play. Um, obviously, asking Winslow to make threes. If you're asking him to make threes, you're asking the wrong questions. I, I'll just be really curious to see. Because I didn't see Reggie Jackson at all this week, I don't think. I might have, but I don't, I don't remember off the top of my head. If Reggie can average 20 points a game and you can get 17 out of Marcus Morris, you just need 53 more points <laughs> to get to 90. <laughs> And we've seen in the NBA this year, it's a lot easier to hold teams under 90 points than it used to be. <laughs> so I think there's a chance, right? If in the next 15 games, they go like five and 10 or six and nine. So the bottom of the West is so bad. I don't think there's any way they fall out of the playoffs. The play in, let's just say, without PG. Like, I don't think, I don't think Portland's catching up to them. I don't think Minnesota, Minnesota might. I, Dallas and the Lakers would be the obvious candidates to jump them for six right now. 
but the Nuggets might fall off too. You never know. So it's going to be, I don't know. Like I, I like this team a lot. Right. <laughs> you and I sung their praises a lot in the, uh, in the Suns and warriors. I think it was the warriors episode. We sung their praises a lot, even with no, even with no Kawhi. And that's just because their defense is elite. <laughs> like the fourth best defense in the whole league in a, like a very defensive league. Now, like this isn't like, last year's defense where nobody could play defense. This is so right now they're at 106.3 points per hundred possession. If they could keep it at that range and maybe like a little better, I still think, I think there's a chance they stick around 500. I don't think they will be 500 when Paul George gets back, but if they can be like two games under, I think they'll be, they'll be fine. Yeah. And when they get healthy, listen, I've been looking at some odds, okay? This is something I've been, eye- I've been eyeing for a while. And this is going to create a good opportunity because they're going to suck for a while. Let's just – let's talk about this, okay? So what do you think the odds are for them to win the finals? Is it 100 to 1? It's plus 2,800. Mm. So, I mean – and it's going to get – it's going to get better. Like, it's going to drop – in the in the three thousands, I'm guessing. Like this, listen. This is a team that almost made the finals last year, and I, I just don't think Kawhi is gonna. He's not gonna suck when he comes back. Like, there's no reason for me to think that Kawhi Leonard is gonna take a huge step back. I don't care what he injured. He could have had his foot amputated. I think he'd be fine. Like, this is a guy I just trust to come back from something like that. Him and Paul George healthy with Reggie Jackson. Like, they almost beat the Suns without Kawhi. Like, they gave him a damn good run. And, again, health is still going to be a factor this season. But, you know, I'm not going to say they're going to beat Golden State. I'm not going to say they're going to get to the finals or win. But plus 2,800, and it's going to get better than that. I mean, it's tempting, and like just to w- just to win the West, they're at plus a thousand. So I don't know. It's it's uh, it's something to keep an eye on. I'll just say that. That is very intriguing odds. I mean, <laughs> listen, I've had very high regard for the Clippers since they signed Kawhi. I since they signed Kawhi and traded for PG. Obviously, Doc wasn't the right coach for the group, and very clearly, Ty Lue is. I'll be really – that's one thing I want to watch, and I don't know how much Clippers I'll be watching over the next month, but I want to see what he tries to play with, right? Because we know Ty Lue, he is probably the best in-game adjuster of any coach in the league, right? He just is phenomenal at making changes on the fly. I want to see, you know, if he's like, hey, Zubach, let a couple fly from deep. <laughs> right like let's just let's get crazy with it right see if just something you know hey bloodzo why don't you play in the dunker spot which might be his best spot although i have to say i shit on bloodzo all the time he is doing a lot for this team and getting to the rim they can't score still but he's doing kind of what i thought he would on this team where he he's the guy who can actually get to the rim on this team and they're still like They're in the same place they were last year in terms of attempts at the rim and long mid range, right? Like that's probably never going to change. 
<laughs> but just having someone who can get there and create perimeter shots for people, I think integrating him now is going to be really good for them like in the playoffs because getting him used to his role, like, okay, you're here to attack the rim and play defense. And if you do both of those things, you'll stay on the floor. I think that's, I think it's really good for him, Dylan. Yeah. I mean, the thing with Bledsoe is like, he doesn't suck. Like we, we shit on him all the time because he chooses to suck, but he doesn't have to suck. It's that he's, he just settles too much. I mean, he was a really good player in Milwaukee, but he wasn't good enough because he shot way too much and he just didn't give them the, the space that they needed. Not not that Drew Holiday does either, but Drew Holiday is just a much better player all around. But, I mean, Bledsoe has been a good player for a long time. It's just he needs to rein himself in. And if you look at what happened with Reggie Jackson last year, I mean, me and you, we uh, – we gave it to Reggie Jackson during the season. Like we did not like him. We thought he was hurting them a lot of the time and he ended up being their second best player in that sun series where they almost won. So I don't know. Like there's, there's definitely a chance that, that he is very useful for them when it matters, because if you, like you said, if he can get to the rim and just play defense and not really do much else, like that's that's something they didn't really have last year, and it's something they needed. And you know, I I think like you knew what Patrick Beverly was going to be, and it just wasn't really what you needed. And that's why they made that trade. And I think Bledsoe is more likely to hurt you than Beverly was. But I think the Clippers were kind of going for upside with that, and. I mean, Bledsoe, def- he, you don't look at Bledsoe as an upside guy, but when you have the players on that team that they do, he becomes that where he's just another body. You can throw it at Steph or Devin Booker or whoever and make them tired and collapse the defense on the other end. And if he can just do that, then it's, it's going to be tough to stop him. Yeah, and, you know, hopefully Terrence Mann can give them a little bit of that rim pressure. Um, I doubt it. Like <laughs> he's shooting 38% from three this year, which is great. I like he exploded in game six of the jazz series. And then he, he didn't fizzle out in the sun series, but he wasn't anywhere near that impactful. Probably cause the suns have way better defenders on the wing than the jazz do. So we're not talking like apples to apples comparison here. Here's, I don't think I really have that much more to say about the Clippers. It's just like, this is a bad week for them. We had to do them because it's not like we could keep pushing them back. You know, <laughs> it's not like we could keep putting them off. We have one more week left and next week wasn't going to be any better than this week. And right now, Batum's hurt. Um, Paul George, obviously Isaiah Hartenstein, who's been playing really well, who was playing really well earlier in the year. He's hurt and he's out indefinitely. Obviously Kawhi, like, this isn't a good time to do the Clippers, but when we get them in March again, and if Kawhi's nearing a comeback, I think I'll be a lot more interested to talk about them then. Yeah, like we're gonna we're gonna talk about them. I guess it'll be late March, like three months from now, and it's gonna be an interesting conversation then. But for now, it's uh, it's the Marcus Moore show, and that's really all there is to say. 
The Marcus Morris show is a show you do not want to watch is probably the line of this podcast. So thank you, Dylan. Um, (laughs) Not a lot of great options this week. So we, we move the onto the Blazers in the dreaded second spot, the spot you don't want to be in in this podcast because that means we did not like what you brought to the table this week. Um, they're thirteen and twenty-one, good for twelfth in the Western Conference. Their offense is twelfth in the league right now, one eleven point four points per hundred, and their defense is good for 29th in the league. And a a good week from Houston, and they'll be right back at thirtieth. So they need to be careful. Um, negative 3.1 net rating their last week. And this team is really just depressing right now, Dylan. This their last week, they they only played two games because their game against the Nets was postponed. I'll count I'll count the last Tuesday game as well, the 21st. So they lost to the Pelicans 111 to 97. They then lost to the Mavericks 132 to 117, and then got their asses kicked by the Jazz 120 to 105. I mean <laughs> Dylan, I, I got to start with this. Did Dame make the mistake by embracing the grind? Like, did he make a mistake by not requesting a trade this summer? Like, I, I feel like we we talked about this ad nauseum during the summer, but he's great still. Like, he had a rough start to the season, and he's bounced back, but this team just sucks, and there's no other way to put it. Like, they finally hit on a draft pick that wasn't Simon. Simon's is playing great this year, and Nas Little is playing great. But they don't know how to use Larry Nance. Norm Powell should not be playing the three in any circumstance. Covington has um Covington, I don't believe, is being used correctly either. We can we'll probably disagree on that, but <laughs> Nurkic has he's showing the signs of his injuries. This isn't just that this just isn't a good situation right now, Dylan. And I feel like this team is going to have a massive overhaul in February. I, I just can't help but feel that way. Yeah, I mean, it's a mess. And, like, the injuries and stuff don't help. Like, C.J. McCollum dealing with his thing was going to hurt. But, like, that's the problem is that when C.J. McCollum goes down, there there's no hope. That's the problem with this team. Like, on the surface, it seems like a team that's, like, fairly well-balanced. Because it's like, oh, yeah, we have Dame, but then we have McCollum, we have Nurkic, we have Powell. And Covington, but those guys, they're just not the same as McCollum. And even McCollum's not good enough, but he's still better. And I will say Powell lately has been awesome. I love him still. I think he's maybe having his best season ever, maybe. Like, he's been really, really good, and that's been helping. But they're still eight games under 500, so – I don't know. Like it's, it's kind of getting annoying talking about this because it's just the same conversation every year. Literally it's the same conversation every year they make. It, it's just weird. Cause they make good moves. Like every trade they've made, I think I've supported the Larry Nance trade. Mm, I don't know. I don't remember exactly what they gave up in that, but I don't know. I don't think expecting Larry Nance to may, be a huge difference maker, I think was a mistake. And that's kind of what the the Dame Dame Lillard era has been has been a bunch of like patchwork moves that have not been good enough. And I just I don't know. I think we're definitely going to see some big changes. I think this is a really good opportunity for them to just trade some pieces off 
Like they're not, they are a game and a half out of the play in right now. They have the Pelicans and the Thunder breathing down their neck. You don't ever want to say that. You don't ever want to say the Pelicans and the Thunder are breathing down your neck. That is a scary thing to say. That means you suck. And the Rockets, you know, shout out to the Rockets for going on like a, what was it, like an eight-game win streak, and now they've dropped five in a row. Shout out to them for for being consistent. Um, but, hey, you never know. They could have another run in them too, and they could they could pass the Blazers. So this is just a really bad situation. And uh, <laughs> I'm sorry, I'm distracted by your cat. All right. <laughs> I, I just attention. I just love I love cats because they they just walk on everything. Like there is nothing they won't walk on, and I have a lot of respect for the freedom of that. Um, but yeah, I, I just don't know what they do, and I think Dame is definitely looking around like he's he's kind of soaking it in because he knows that this is going to be his last few months in Portland. And here's the thing too right? It would have been beneficial for the Blazers to trade Dame as well. Like, it would have been good for them because at a certain point, you just need to acknowledge when something isn't working. And, like, it could have been like, oh, it's not you, it's us. Right? But they've never even put that on the table because Olshay believes you know, he's he was got b- believed because he's not the GM there anymore. He believed he was God's gift to Earth <laughs> as a general manager, and now he's not there. And there, that's a other factor in this too is that they're having an interim GM running the show right now. So we don't even know if he'll be able to make any trades at the deadline. You know, be able to send CJ packing, be able to send Nurkic packing, to be able to send Covington. Like this whole team needs a change of scenery. Right. And yeah, they keep bringing in new guys, but when the core remains the same, it feels like monotony, right? We're seeing this in Indiana too. Most of the team has changed over the last five years. Well, who's been there the last five years in Indiana? It's been Sabonis and Turner. And so everyone's like, Oh, we've seen the same team for five years. We haven't seen the same team. Boyan Bogdanovich and Victor Oladipo used to be the wings (laughs) on the team with Darren Collison running the point in the first rendition of this team. And now we have Lavert. And, you know, hypothetically, TJ Warren, he he hasn't played in forever. This team just needs to change something up, right? Whether it's, you know, trading Dame, whether they, I don't think that'll happen in season, whether it's trading CJ, which should probably happen in season and CJ should be coming back soon. So shout out to him um, for coming back from such a scary sounding injury. But (laughs) it's like running in mud. It's not going to work. You know, or maybe running in quicksand would be the better expression there because you're just not going to move anywhere fast. And it feels like, I mean, Dylan, treadmill of mediocrity for the Blazers. They made one conference finals with a team that's been around for the past seven seasons. I think this is the eighth season, actually, with CJ and Dame there, like in the starting lineup. It's, I'm sorry, Blazers fans, but. It's just time, <laughs> you know, these things need to expire naturally. And it's, I think it's well past expired at this point. And let's face it. CJ could probably use a change of scenery too. And I think he's going to pop off once he gets to a new team. Yeah. And you know, if I'm Neil O'Shea, I have to sit there 
let's say the end of the bubble, but even even after last year, you have to look at the Phoenix Suns and say, how the hell could I not do that? If I can't do that, then either I need to get out of this job or I need to make some huge moves because the Suns were legitimately, it was them, the Kings and the Knicks were very easily the three worst organizations in the league. And basically in a year and a half, the Suns went from that conversation to in the finals. I mean, and you know, the difference maker in that is that they drafted well. And yes, they had way more opportunities because they sucked for longer and they got higher picks. But that team fumbled the bag quite often, okay? They drafted Marquise Chris and Dragon Bender in the same draft. They had, they had Bogdan Bogdanovich. They gave him away. They made some terrible draft picks. They had Josh Jackson. So it, it's not like the draft was a huge advantage to them. The, they had two – basically the draft was Devin Booker, who they got at the very end of the lottery – DeAndre Aiden, obviously the first overall pick, is going to help you a lot. And then Mikhail Bridges, who they made a good trade with Philly for. And Cam Johnson, I'll throw in there too. Cam Johnson was a reach, a major, major reach by everyone's standards. And I'm going to pull that draft up now. I want to see all the players in that draft that he's better than. Because we all called it so stupid and – he is one of the better off-ball players in the league now, and he's part of the reason why they were so good and able to get there. So, I mean, you just, like, you got to look at, at yourself, and you've had Damian Lillard for way longer than they had Devin Booker. They were able to put a team together pretty quick in the same exact conference that you were in. So I, I think that should have been the signal that things needed to change, and maybe it was. Maybe that's why Dame is, like – get me out of here. This is not going to work. So definitely for CJ's stance too, like CJ, again, put him on Philly or put him on Cleveland or someone. He's going to be amazing. He's going to be very useful and he's very useful for Portland too, but it's just, it's, we've seen it for too long. Yeah. And you know, Nurkic, Nurkic is a fine center, right? He is not any, like he's a shell of himself, which sucks. He's only 27, but he's been hurt so much. And he could probably use a change of scenery too. Covington's getting up there in age and they're not using him. Covington's probably best as a small ball five off the bench at this point, like as a change of pace guy, right? You know, actually, what I would do if I was the Blazers, you just need some young talent, right? If you're trying to blow it up, just take a shot at THT. Why not for Covington? And maybe take that 2027 first from the Lakers. Like, yeah, that won't pay off for years. But THT, we like what we've seen from him. He's been terrible. But that's because asking a 21-year-old to play well for a contender is one of the dumbest things you can do in the league. (laughs) Right? So why not take a shot on THT? Right? The Lakers sure could use Covington. I, I just think that there's a lot of different creative ways they could use to blow this up. And they have a lot of players that teams like. It's the same, like the Pacers and the Blazers are in the same exact boat right now. They have a ton of good, useful players that would contribute to a championship, just not on the team that they're on. It's, it's kind of like what happened with the Magic last year, right? With Fournier, Gordon, and Vucevic. And obviously we saw varying levels of success with those three. You know, Fournier got off to a bad COVID start in Boston and never really recovered. Vucevic, um, Levine went into 
he got COVID pretty much as soon as <laughs> Booch got there and that kind of derailed the bull season. And then Gordon, you know, Jamal Murray tears his ACL like less than 10 games into Gordon being there and that ruins the Nuggets season. But all three of those guys went for a lot of, they got a lot back for those three guys. <laughs> I actually don't think they got a lot back from Fournier, but they got a lot back from Vooch. And they got a lot back for, they got RJ Hampton back for Gordon, who is a useful young player. So you're telling me you can't get like a, maybe not the same haul the Magic got for Vucevic, but you can get something for CJ. You can get something, like you can get PJ Washington for Nurk probably. Hmm. Like there's something, there's something out there. I don't know. Call me crazy, Dylan, but I, I just think that when we do this team again in late March, the only guys that are still going to be on this team are probably going to be Dame, Anthony Simons, and Nas Little, and that's probably it. Nurkic on the Hornets is really interesting. That's that's kind of stoking my fire a little bit right now. Because I haven't watched them lately because, honestly, it seems like I end up watching the same teams over and over. Like, the, the these schedules have, have – have you noticed how weird these schedules have been for us this year? Like, it feels like we get the same teams playing each other. I don't know. It like, feels like we've watched 35 Knicks games this year. I'll just go ahead and say it. Yeah, I, I have definitely watched the Knicks more than every other team. And that is not by choice. Well, it's partially by choice because ultimately I can pick who I watch and not. But there's just like, I didn't watch Portland at all, I don't think, until this week. There's just a lot of teams that I've I've watched more than others, so it's been weird. But yeah, there there's gonna be hopefully a lot of changes because I mean Nance would be a good guy to flip too. You know, like these are guys that that you can pretty easily flip to other teams and get get a good return. I mean, like Covington, Covington will have trade value till the day he dies. Okay. He won't even be in the league. Someone will be trading him for something. Like he will, he is just a valuable person in this world. Okay. So he, maybe it's the Lakers, maybe it's someone else, but that man until he retires is going to be catching assets flying back. He's going to be like Trevor Ariza is basically hopefully a little bit better of an end for, for Covington, but yeah, I mean, getting a first in like a young guy or even like just an early second for Covington and, and a young guy, like that's that's a great start to a rebuild. And your team sucks already, so you're not that far away from getting like a top five pick or at least like top seven. And, I mean, you probably don't trade Dame until the offseason, but like just just get it started now. Dame knows what's coming. Get him out after it's over and finally we can have all these players on different teams about time um yeah do you realize i brought up i brought up turner and sabonis cj nurk and dame have been together since the 2016-17 season like for a trio of guys who like dame is elite but nurk and cj aren't and that's no offense to them. They're both very good. And Nurk was borderline elite at his best, but not like I wouldn't say he was ever elite for sure. That's a long time to keep like a really good trio together. Not a really hell. The Warriors, the KD Warriors broke up after four years, three years, three seasons. 
That's all they were together for. You know, the Le- LeBron's never really kept a core together for four years because he always dipped when it was declining. So it's time. And I don't think they will because they're <laughs> they're very conservative, a lot more conservative. Do you know, apparently the year that um, they made the conference finals, uh, Paul Allen, who has since passed away, he went into like the locker room and is like, this shit has got to change. Like before they made like the year after they got swept by the Pelicans. And then the next year he dies, they make the conference finals and they keep the team together. So the odds are if Paul Allen hadn't died, <laughs> not wow. to be like morbid about it, this team probably would have been broken up like two seasons ago. So are you telling me that Paul Allen is the only man in heaven right now that's mad? He's he's sitting there watching these Blazers game, banging his fists on the table. Like I told those fuckers to make some changes. Probably. I mean, <laughs> we'll we'll see. I mean, the Seahawks are are going through it too. So that his uh his former teams aren't having the best time of it right now. But time to move on, Dylan. I think to the New Orleans Pelicans, another team that's in kind of a limbo. We this was like weird Western Conference team week. They are 13th in the Western Conference with a record of 13 and 22. Um, they're 26th in offense. They're 24th in defense, negative 5.6 net rating. The last two weeks have been a lot better for New Orleans, but they've really been a lot better since Brandon Ingram came back. They are not the worst team in the league anymore, that's for sure. Um, the last week, they beat the Magic 110 to 104. They lost the Thunder 112 to 117. And then they beat the Cavs in the game in which Ricky Rubio got injured for the rest of the season. Um, 108 to 104. Dylan, the Pelicans were weird to watch this week. <laughs> a lot of guys in and out of the lineup. Balanchunas in and out with uh, health and safety protocols. Right now, Ingram Ingram left five minutes into the uh, Thunder game. And he is day-to-day with an Achilles right now. Obviously, Kyra Lewis... Um, Tore his Achilles or tore his ACL. He's out. Nikhil Alexander Walker currently is in the health and safety protocols. This is just a really weird team right now, Dylan. And what was your biggest takeaway from watching them? You know, before talking about the Pelicans, I have I'm looking at the box score from this Thunder game they had, and I'm just laughing because Josh Giddy was 0 of eight for zero points, but he had ten rebounds and ten assists. That like that is the Josh Giddy experience right there. <laughs> Man can't score, but he fills up the box score. <laughs> to have a double double with zero points is just unbelievable. I don't know if I've actually ever seen that before. So shout out to Josh Giddy. But this is just a weird team because you have no idea who's gonna be good on like any given night. Like this Thunder game. So obviously Ingram goes out. Josh Hart was really good, okay. Josh Hart, 29 points, 10 rebounds, four assists, three steals, and a block. This man is all over the place. He seems a lot more comfortable attacking the rim. And, like, I don't mean that as, like, he never attacked the rim before. But I've noticed, like, in transition, he just really takes, like, everything himself. And, you know, maybe that's just because now, like, he, you know, last year he was playing with Lonzo. He was playing with Zion, two guys that are pretty active in transition. Maybe he just wasn't really feeling like that was his role. But now with both of those guys not there on the floor, it's it's kind of the Josh Hart show. And, man, like he's he seems a lot more comfortable dribbling. 
uh, just in general and being kind of like a go-to guy. And he was someone that I really hope they re-signed because last year it seemed like he hated being a Pelican. And I think everyone on the Pelicans thought that. And then they fired their coach and, you know, they've made some other changes. So he is back, which is good because I thought he was a really good fit. But, of course, that included Zion in the in there. So I'm happy that he's there still and he's playing well. But it's just a weird team. Like, I'm looking at the, the schedule, and Herb Jones had 26 points last night. It's like you have no idea who's going to lead them in scoring. And I like Herb Jones a lot. I think he's got a lot of upside on, like, both ends of the floor. He's a pretty good perimeter defender. He's – decent shooter like he's got a lot of upside so that's definitely a guy that we need to watch out for over the next couple years um but there's other games where he does nothing like this Portland game he had three points you know it's just kind of like he's kind of one of those guys and that's just how the whole team is like Nikhil Alexander Walker he finishes the Portland game with 27 points and I I will not I'm not kidding when I say this that he did basically nothing in that game until the fourth quarter. He, I believe he had a 13-0 run by himself at one point in that game. Like, he hit, like, two or three threes in a row. He got a couple of buckets in transition. Like, he, <laughs> this team is just full of so much volatility. So it's kind of fun, but it's also a disaster at times where you just have no idea who's, who's going to be awesome and who's going to suck. Like, that's really just what it comes down to. And it makes it makes it really fun to watch them, but it also makes some games terrible to watch. So that's just basically the New Orleans Pelicans experience right now. Yeah. Oh, I would say Ingram. You know, you're going to get it from Ingram every night. Yeah. Like that dude is just a beast at this point. And he is getting all the defensive attention right now. So his percentages aren't as good as they were last year. But still, 23 points a game on 45% from the field, 35% from three. He's getting to the line five times a game, five, six rebounds, five assists. Like, he's going to make an impact on every single game, no matter what, right? And the fact that he's averaging five assists, and I think this is his third year in a row averaging five assists. Like, I don't think we'd ever see – I think we as a basketball consensus didn't think we'd see that from B.I. But he's gotten – he's, like, developed into a really good passer. Um, and I want to shout him out because – He's just been really great, and I think us both having him in the top 50 was justified. Like, he's just really good, and I want him kind of – I want to see him on a team that's more designed to his strengths. You know, I think he could lead a good team. I don't think he's a losing player at all. I think he's kind of like – I feel like we're having the same conversations about Brandon Ingram that we used to have about Zach Levine. And then Mm. you surround Zach Levine with good teammates, and you're like, wow – this guy is so good. No, this guy's been good as good the whole time. <laughs> you just weren't watching him because his teammates suck. So I want to see him on a team more, you know, designed around his capabilities than Zion's, which to be fair, we both agree. We'd probably build around Zion more so than Ingram because Zion has godlike potential. Um, I need to talk about Herb Jones, though. I just love watching this guy play basketball. Like, and you're telling me there were 34 guys better than this guy? <laughs> 34? I, I did some math, right? Or not math. I did some looking earlier today. And he was the SEC player of the year and defensive player of the year. Do you know how many SEC players were drafted before Herb Jones, Dylan? Do you want to guess? 
Oh, that's a good one. Let's say 10. You're close. It was eight. Wow. And, you know, some of them, like, you want to take a shot on, right? Like, I would have drafted Moses Moody. I still would probably draft Moses Moody over Herb Jones, right? That's, But I, I really like Moses Moody in college, so that's whatever. Um, Josh Primo, his team, his uh, Alabama teammate, drafted before <laughs> him. He was the first SEC player drafted, actually, um, which is which kind of funny. Surprise, I think. <laughs> yeah, I don't think anyone saw that coming. Um, Trey Mann from Florida. You know, it's the Thunder. They're not, um, they're not going for anything. Uh, Keon Johnson and Jaden Springer from Tennessee, both selected before. Um, both selected before Herb Jones. We haven't seen Jaden Springer at all. He's probably killing it. In I think the Sixers G League affiliate is in Delaware. Cam Thomas from LSU, picked before Herb Jones. Isaiah Jackson from Kentucky. So... Listen, sometimes guys are just good at basketball, (laughs) you know, and we saw the same thing happen. It's funny because the same thing happened in the 2016 draft. Malcolm Brogdon, not as many ACC guys picked before him, but two Vanderbilt guys were picked before him, which might be worse. Um, Malcolm Brogdon in 2016 was a killer player, right? Like everyone's like, oh, this guy's going to be really good in the NBA. Like he's going to come in and contribute. He didn't get picked till the 30, I think 36 pick was when Malcolm Brogdon got picked. And sometimes guys are just good at basketball. And Herb Jones has all the tools, right, in his toolkit. He's already a great defensive player. He's not going to make an all-defense team because they suck. But he'd probably be on my outside looking in right now. Like, he's been legitimately that good on defense. And you're right. On offense, he has tools. I watched that Cavs game where he had 26 points. He was doing just a little bit of everything. It feels like somehow, some way, he always ends up at the rim, even when he's dribbling. And... (laughs) It's a really herky-jerky style, right? It's not really... I'm trying to find a way to phrase this kindly. It's not always pretty to watch. Watching Herb Jones try to make his way up by the rim. But he ends up there, and he usually gets the layup, and he usually, you know, not usually, because he's not that great of a finisher yet, but like you said, the tools are all there. This guy is going to be a winning player for years to come. And are you telling me so let's just go back through the draft to see who passed on him. Are you telling me the Sixers couldn't have used this guy? Are you telling me the Jazz couldn't have used this guy? And the Jazz traded that pick to Memphis. Memphis passed on this guy twice. You tell him Memphis could always use a guy like this. The Clippers passed on him. Clippers could really use a guy like Herb Jones right now. I mean, just so many teams. The Bucks traded out of the 31st pick. They could use a guy like Herb Jones. Like, it just feels like so many teams... <laughs> could use like the Knicks pass on him like three times. <laughs> it just feels like so many teams just overthink this stuff and they're like, oh, potential, potential. If you're trying to win games, draft the guy that's going to help you win games. If you're a good team, it's not that hard. Like you, you and I have already had this conversation. Don't try to develop and win at the same time. It never works. And if you're just trying to win, just draft the guy who's going to help you in. It's that simple. Yeah, and, you know, this was my defense of the Pacers when they took Duarte because everyone wanted Moses Moody despite the fact that he was terrible against good teams. Like, man, let's let's take that guy when we're trying to win games. And granted, they're not winning games with Duarte either, but that's not his fault. Um, but, yeah, it, you know, it, I'm not – like the team that stood out that you were talking about was the Jazz. And granted, 
Jared Butler fills a role for them too, uh, even though he hasn't really played as much as we'd like. But, hey, what did we talk about last year with the Jazz and the Clippers? It was the Jazz have no no one to guard the Clippers' wings. I'm not going to say Herb Jones could lock up Kawhi Leonard, but he's going to do a better job than Bojan Bogdanovich, that's for sure. So them of all teams, it doesn't make sense. But every team needs someone like that. I feel like every year we talk about this, this in the draft, get a guy you can throw at LeBron James and, and Kevin Durant. And they're not going to stop him. We know that. But could they make him miss three shots in the fourth quarter that they really need to miss? Maybe. We've seen it before. Are they going to make him work a little bit harder and make him a little bit more tired on defense? Sure. You know, this this is the kind of stuff you have to think about when you're trying to win a lot of games and maybe go to the finals. And the teams that draft Herb Jones type of players at the end of the first round and the early second round, those are the teams that go and win the finals. Those the teams that can win on the fringes. Like, yes, you got to get the superstars in order. But as we're seeing with the Lakers right now, the fringes really matter. And when you don't focus on that and when you only focus on the top tier potential, you're going to miss out on a lot of good players and you're going to probably not win a ton of playoff series. So this is a good example, and and no one's going to learn from it because we said the same thing with Brandon Clark a few years ago when he slipped way further than he should have slipped. And there's been countless other examples of players that slipped that became instant impact basically for some of these teams. So he's just another example. And, hey, you know, this is a, this is a free market, right? The, the teams that make the best decisions, they get the best results. And – I'm not going to say the Pelicans make the best decisions, but at least they got this one right. I mean, their draft history is very, um, very mixed. I mean, Jackson Hayes is a complete and total bust. Um, that that trade that they made after the AD trade, where they traded the fourth pick for like eight, seventeen, and thirty-five, is looking like one of the worst draft day trades. I, I this is no hyperbole. Probably one of the worst draft day trades ever, all things considered. Given that the Hawks selected DeAndre Hunter. And they could have had Darius Garland or DeAndre Hunter <laughs> if they walked away with Jackson Hayes and Nikhil Alexander-Walker. I think that's... They have not been getting equal value in trades. Shout out to uh, Tomas Sadoransky, Garrett Temple in the 2023 second round pick. Um, it's... Listen, I'm not going to call for Griff's job, but Griff is so buddy-buddy with everyone in the media that no one ever criticizes him, right? And, like, you have the lone dissenting voices, like, I say lone dissenting voices, like Bill Simmons isn't one of the biggest people in basketball media. But he's been, like, one of the only people I've heard go on record and criticize Griff. It's crazy. He's not done a good job. <laughs> like, he did great in Cleveland, right? I'm not going to dispute this. The moves he pulled out of his ass to trade for, like, you know, the trade where he sent Deion Waiters to Oklahoma City and then got Mozgov, Shumper, and J.R. Smith back. That probably won them the 2016 title because J.R. was instrumental to that championship. He's not making those same kind of moves now. <laughs> he's just not. Like, he's doing a good job of, like, hitting on the fringes, right? Like, Herb Jones, great pick, right? Najee Marshall, we have uh, we didn't see him at all this week, but he's done really well for them with what we saw last year and this year. Um, It's just as those... 
those role player moves that haven't worked out for him the last couple of years. The Bledsoe trade, terrible idea. Um, obviously, you got back 75 million first round picks, but odds are you're not going to be around to see those first round picks that you got from Milwaukee. You know, the Steven Adams trade was a disaster. He sucked in New Orleans last year, and he's unsurprisingly bounced back in Memphis this year. They <laughs> and Brandon Ingram deserves better because that man has the potential to be a top 25 player in the league, you know, be an actual difference maker. And he's stuck with Devontae Graham shooting 37% from the field and Nikhil Alexander Walker shooting 32% from three. Like, <laughs> I'm sorry, no offense to those guys. I'm a huge Devontae Graham fan, but they rely on him way too much. Yeah. And listen, I talked about this, I think, uh, two weeks ago. I think it was probably about Zion and injury or something, but I was watching the Portland game and I, I like to look at the, at the stands and see how many people are in the stands of these games. You know, is it packed? Is this a, is this a fun game to go to? Dude, I would say at best 60% of that bottom bowl is filled up. Like if I had to put money down on this, I think the Pelicans are gone and, and within 10 years they're gone. Because what's going to happen is Zion is going to leave and then they have nothing. Zion is going to leave. Ingram is probably going to get traded. And you have two generational superstars in a row that could not wait to get out of New Orleans. Well, I, like, I don't know anything about Zion. He's pretty closed off. Like, he doesn't really say, he's never said anything bad about New Orleans. Just based on how this year has gone with the injury stuff, it's just weird. And it's something, something kind of stinks a little bit, you know? Something stinks. And it makes me think that he's not happy there already. And if he's gone, they're done. And and I think everyone in New Orleans will understand (laughs) because this has just been a disastrous run for them. Basically, ever since Chris Paul left, it's just been terrible. And like the Jackson Hayes thing, I was watching, I, I don't remember if it was I guess it had to be the Thunder game because he didn't play in this Portland game. I was watching him because, like, he's just an interesting guy to me because, like, in theory, he has talent, right? He just sucks. He doesn't He doesn't do anything. Like, he is 100% reliant on someone else getting him a lob, basically. He doesn't create anything for himself. Like, even, like Rudy Gobert creates his own shot. He may not have the ball in his hand, but he gets himself in a position to score a lot. And a lot of other big men that can't really dribble much or back, maybe they don't have the best post game in the world, like Clint Capella, like those guys get their own shot. It's not the same way that guards get their own shot, but they get their own shot. Jackson Hayes doesn't do anything on offense. He just is tall and can jump, and he really prays that someone sees him when he's in the right spot. On defense – yeah, like because of those two things, he can jump and block shots occasionally. But I was watching him get switched out on a guards, and he just got killed. And yes, you don't expect centers to be able to switch on guards very easily, but there's a lot of guys that can do it. Nick Claxton can do it. Jared Allen can do it. Miles Turner can do it. But Bam Adebayo can do it. A lot of guys can do it. Jackson Hayes can't. So what the hell is the point of Jackson Hayes? He has to be with James Harden to succeed, is that the only way it can happen? 
and you gave up a shot at DeAndre Hunter or someone else in that kind of range to get a backup center that's that's not even better than Billy Hernan Gomez, who I like, but he's the definition of a backup center. And you're the fourth was the uh, he was the eighth overall pick. So it's like I I just there's just this team is depressing to me. And I like I like watching some of these guys. I like Brandon Ingram. I like Herb Jones. I like Devontae Graham, Josh Hart. But just the whole stink around the organization, it just it just well, it stinks. I watched the Magic um Pals game from last week. And Billy Hernan Gomez was one of 11 from the field in that game, but I'm pretty sure all 10 of his misses were just stuffed at the rim by like Wendell Carter or Franz Wagner. It felt like everybody, like it felt like every single miss of his was a block. And yeah, he's like a fine backup center. He's still better than Jackson. Yeah, that's a bad sign when he's better than your lottery pick from two years ago. Okay, technically it's about to be three. You know, New Year is two days away. Um, It's just a bad sign. And, like, you could have had, you know, you could have had Rui Hachimura, right? The obvious pick there, if you're going to draft Zion and you want to make him happy before he even gets there, is you draft his guy from Duke, Cam Reddish. They didn't even do that. <laughs> they could have had Tyler Hero. They could have had PJ Washington, right? Obviously, hindsight is 2020. I just don't know why you don't keep that pick and take Darius Garland. Like... Mm. I I just, I don't know why you don't do that. It's stunning in retrospect. Obviously, you know, hindsight is 2020, right? Darius Garland went fifth. (laughs) It's not like this was like some unknown. It's not like I'm saying, oh, you know, they should have taken Matisse Teibel with the fourth pick. No, I'm not saying that. What I'm saying is Darius Garland was a consensus top five pick and he went fifth. So him going fourth isn't like some like leap of the imagination. Like, wow. Could you imagine if the... If the Pelicans took Dylan Windler fourth, you know, no offense to Dylan Windler or, okay, here's the better example, right? When people do, you know, their 2019 redrafts, and this is going to be a fascinating one to look at in 10 years. Kelton Johnson's probably going to go in the top 10, right? I don't think anyone at the time, I'll have to ask Caleb this. He's probably, he'd probably know better than me. I don't think anyone at the time was going, you know, who's the top 10 pick It's Kelton Johnson. You know, I don't think anyone was saying that at the time, but you know, in the Spurs system, he looks great. So, and I'm sure he probably would have succeeded elsewhere, but we, we don't know. Right. So Daniel Gafford's another guy too. He went to Arkansas, probably wasn't like that hyped of a prospect. So hindsight is 2020 with a lot of these guys, but some of these you can criticize more heavily and Darius Garland not going forth is going to look really bad in like, not even probably in the future. It looks really bad right now. Yeah. And the Garland thing is weird. Like, those are the picks that I struggle with. And it's the same reason Michael Porter Jr. slipped. Is like, I think he played less than 10 games. I want to say he played like seven or eight games, maybe. And he had a, wasn't it, it was either, was it a torn ACL or something bad? I'll look up the injury, but you keep going. <laughs> yeah. I mean, it was, it was bad. And like, I was thinking, I was actually thinking about this the other day because I was thinking about how good Garland has become. And I was like, man, if I was, if I was a team back then, it would just be so hard to scout a guy like that because you you watch him in high school. And, I mean, you know, Joe Young was killing guys in high school. And he's good in China, but he wasn't very good in the NBA. Like, a lot of guys are good in high school. And the same with Michael Porter Jr. Like, when I watch Michael Porter Jr.'s high school clips, 
everyone in the world was talking about how there's no way he should fall out of the top 10. Some guys were saying he should have been a top three pick. All I saw in high school was a guy that didn't play defense and a guy that didn't pass. <laughs> and maybe that's just because I'm a weirdo and like that's the stuff I notice. But he's he's a tall guy that can jump and dunk and shoot over guys that are that are five ten. That just didn't impress me. And of course, he's turned out to be a really good player. And you know, that's great uh, that the Nuggets got him so late. It's just hard to scout someone like Darius Garland when he barely played. And it's just kind of a weird uh, weird thing. But you know, again, hindsight's twenty twenty. And when Darius Garland is the second best point guard in the NBA in a few years. Uh, it's definitely going to look tough, but hey, it's better than Giannis going 15th. So there's that. True. Well, this is, I'll tie up the um, the Garland point on this. He tore his meniscus. I'll, I'll say that. Okay. Yeah. It's bad when the Cavs outscout, outscout you. <laughs> <laughs> like, like, no offense to them. They have turned it around and they actually have drafted pretty well in the Altman regime. That being said, <laughs> it's still bad when you know you're David Griffin, right? You probably have the same intel as these guys do. You were just there. You know what? He got fired before the 17-18 season in Cleveland, or he resigned. And one of the two. He wasn't in it's not like he'd been gone from Cleveland that long. <laughs> he probably had similar intel to Kobe Altman. I, I just, oh, it's so stupid. And the draft is a crapshoot. It really is, right? Like, you could look at the Jarrett Culver pick at, coming off of his run and be mm. like, okay, this is a great pick. But yeah. it, it, it really is a crapshoot. That being said, drafting a role man center next to Zion Williamson, I, st- I probably shouldn't couldn't defend it at the time. I don't think I can defend it now. I, it's tough. Um, we went on a little draft tangent there about them. Any other guys that set out for you in the Pelicans before we finish up this episode? I mean, I wanted Trey Murphy to do something and he just didn't like he was, he's the only guy there that I don't really know much about. Um, and I still don't know much about him. So that's all I have to say. I mean, he's six, nine, he's only 200 pounds. He's 21 years old. I don't know. I'm going to give him some time. I liked him coming out of the draft, you know, six, nine guy out of Virginia. I mean, it took DeAndre Hunter like a year before you were bought in too. So to, to be fair, you were not bought in on DeAndre Hunter at all after his rookie season. And then his second year, you were all in and you're all in now. Um, I want to see less Garrett Temple. <laughs> he's playing He's playing 19 minutes a game, which feels like way too much. He is shooting 38% from three, which is good. Um, this team just would make more sense with Zion. And it, it just sucks that he's out, and we don't know how long he's going to be out. And I would guess – let's end on this, Dylan. What percent chance do you give Zion – like, we're not doctors, obviously. We have no reporting. What percent chance do you give Zion to play basketball in the 2021-22 season? <sighs> I mean, you, you just think that weight is going to cause a problem, like continue to cause problems. Maybe he's working on it. I don't know. Uh, it seems like it's easier for him to gain weight than lose weight, which some athletes are just like that. You know, if you're if you're a guy that that loves to to push metal around, you know, and eat a lot of protein, you know, it's not that hard to gain muscle. But 
he doesn't strike me as a guy that's going for 10 mile runs um, and slimming down. So I don't know. I'll, I'll just say like 25%. Like I just, I don't expect it. That's for sure. It wouldn't surprise me if he came back, you know, in February or something. I don't know, but I'm definitely not expecting it. That's fair. I would say it's a 0% chance he plays basketball this year. Just there's no way, right? This They haven't been – one last Pelicans rant. They lied to us, okay? And, like, I know, you know, I'm not getting all hoity-toity about the media here. But why do you need to be secretive about this? This is the future of your team. They lied to us on opening day. They're like, oh, you know, Zion will be back by opening day. And then, like, a week before opening day, they're like, psych. He's not going to be back by opening day. He'll be reevaluated in a couple of weeks. Then they're like, psych, it'll, he'll be reevaluated in a couple of months. What do you have to be so secretive about, David Griffin? You're not communist Russia. You don't need like to be so – it just doesn't make sense. Like, why all the secrets? You don't need to be so secretive. You're the fucking Pelicans. Who cares? <laughs> you need to just be honest with your fans. And it's going to be bad, Dylan. Because one of the things about gambling is, is like injuries are going to play a huge part in that. So the NBA real like for the sake of gambling integrity, <laughs> they really need to. And I'm being serious because, you know, the Donaghy scandal wasn't that long ago. The Donaghy scandal was 14 years ago for the sake of gambling integrity. They need to have like full transparency on these injury reports in the regular season. Right. In the playoffs, you know, whatever, like Giannis plays with uh knee bent backwards right in the regular season though i think there needs to be full transparency and shame on you like there's no reason to lie about this absolutely none who cares <laughs> right they're gonna scout you different ways if zion's playing or not I, dylan am i crazy that's that's my last question <laughs> no i mean the transparency is a big deal because i remember i don't do this anymore because I lost too much money, but I used to do daily fantasy with basketball and I would create, you know, lineups, not every night, but maybe a few times a week. And there were a handful of times. And part of this was me not paying attention maybe, but all of a sudden, as soon as seven o'clock striked, a player was out. And it's like, it's not like I was away from my phone for eight hours, not looking at stuff. Like it's just all of a sudden a player was out. And they're that that having one player out, your chances of winning money significantly decrease. And it's the same thing with just straight up gambling. Like if you bet the over on the Pelicans win total because they told you Zion was gonna play and he never plays, are you gonna gamble? Uh like you're I don't I mean, there's a lot of degenerates out there that may not ruin it for him, but you're definitely gonna be less motivated to gamble. So this is like a situation where like the NBA loses money if they're not transparent, right? If, if people don't want to gamble because they're going to get fucked by injuries because they're not being honest, then that's a lot of money going down the drain. And hey, we've seen over the past few years, the NBA loves its money. They love it. They will do anything to make money. That has been proven. So that's, they need to fall in line with that for sure. And yeah, the, the secret of thing, there's nothing to gain out of saying that Zion's going to play when he's not, it, it just doesn't make any sense. And again, it just adds into the whole stink. Like that's just a weird thing to hide. And if you're hiding 
some bigger deal maybe with Zion. Like, hey, maybe Zion fucking hates it in New Orleans and he wants to get out. Like that, maybe that's what they're hiding. I don't know. But there's again, I I think we're gonna see something over the next year or two that's just comes out about the Pelicans that's really kind of groundbreaking because there's just something about this team that's just really, really odd. I can't think of a better way to end it. There's a lot of frustrating situation down in New Orleans. Um, time for shameless plugs. Dylan, Divine Rhyme, you guys get around to uh, getting your best songs of 2021 yet, Draft, or are we still waiting on that? Uh, I'm going to talk to you after the pod about that. Okay. So, uh, it's uh, I'm going to have something. Okay. Sounds good. Um, make sure you check out Lynn Sanity. Bryce couldn't join this week, but Caleb went along for a monologue, so that's fun. Um, and then Circle City Cinema. I'm sure they'll be back with something soon. And yeah, um, make sure you buy Dylan's book. I'm done. Thre- the, it's, tw- it's almost 2022. I'm done threatening. But you should still buy No Pressure, Finding Happiness in a Fear-Driven World, written by Dylan Hughes, the best author in the world, if you ask me. Fuck Stephen King. Um, <laughs> sorry, that was unnecessary. But... Dylan, this is a great episode. Once again, thank you for joining me, pal. Thank you.